One of the things that I want you to know about Tom as he gets ready to speak is this is a guy that is really fearless. Recently, one of the U.S. embassies in the Middle East contacted Tom and said, Tom, we want you to take about six months off. We don't want you coming in our country for another six months. We've got to let some things cool down. We appreciate what you're doing. Tom feels this individual to contact him may have been a Christ follower. But I say that to illustrate, and I could go on and on, Tom's fearlessness in lifting up Jesus Christ in very difficult places around the world. Join me in welcoming Tom Doyle. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's an honor to be with you this morning. I thank God for Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, you all are doing things that many churches across the states are not doing. You have an outreach to immigrants, to Muslims. You're being effective. Some of the things you're doing, we can't even mention here on Sunday morning because of the uh, audio that will go out on the Internet. But thank you. I, I wrote about this church in, um, in my latest book just because I was so amazed at uh, what you're doing in your heart for the gospel around the world and here. So uh, thank you very much. And, and please pray for the persecuted church. Come tonight and pray at 6 o'clock for the persecuted church. And uh, on the cover of your bulletin, you see this uh, verse, Romans uh, 8, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about that verse 838 out of Romans and 830, uh, 838 and 39 out of Romans and tell you how you can join the persecuted church and really influence them and walk with them in the midst of the persecution. And also, we are going to Israel, and I cannot wait to go back with Wheaton Bible Church to Israel. We have, a, I think, a few spots left. We'd love for you to go with us. Um, we'll definitely be off the beaten path this year. If you want to go, talk to Pastor Rob or Donna, or maybe even pop into the information meeting after church. But we're going to be doing some cool things, going to places that you don't get to go to, on the typical Bible tour, we'll be meeting with a member of the Knesset, the Israeli Knesset, and then also we'll be meeting with a man that is very influential among Palestinians. He's a Palestinian that came to faith in Jesus just this year. I can't tell you who he is or what he does. His life would be in danger. But he started having experiences with Jesus. And finally, as a Muslim, he went to do what every good Muslim does. He went to Mecca to pray as you go around the Kaaba stone. It's called making Hajj. And he went there, even though he'd been having some experiences, some people telling him about Jesus, he was kind of moving that way. He had a lot of dreams about Jesus. And when he was there in Mecca, his first time around the Kaaba stone, he saw Jesus sitting on that stone, pointing to him, saying... You're on the wrong track. Come follow me and leave this place now. He wants to meet you and tell you his story. I said, what did you do? He said, I left immediately and went back to Israel. And God brought a believer to him. He is a Christ follower. God is working in his life. Man, it is an amazing story, okay? So join us. Go to Israel with us. You won't regret it. See the Bible in high definition. 
It's, it's a phenomenal thing. Okay, Hebrews 12. Pick it up in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we'll just take it a little phrase at a time. We're surrounded by these by these witnesses, this cloud of witnesses. He's talking about Hebrews 11 and the phenomenal saints of God, Abraham, David, Moses, Sarah, Rahab, some of the all-stars that gave their life to follow the Lord even before everything had been revealed and fulfilled in Jesus and they were faithful. And the chapter ends by saying the world was not worthy of them and you're surrounded by them. So what does that mean? Are they actually looking down? Or, or what does that mean? Well, Bible commentators are split. I like to think that they actually are looking down. And seeing us is we're in this race, as the writer of Hebrews calls it, and uh, to see if we're faithful or not. So to, to our amazement, he, the writer likens us into this group. You, these are your people. This is what you're called to do. Walk like them. They are heroes, and we are overwhelmed and encouraged by this and humbled. It, it brings in great encouragement. Now, if you would have told me years ago that I would have been a missionary, I would have just laughed. I mean, I just, I just didn't think that's where God would, had us going. I was a pastor for 20 years. And, I mean, we didn't even get the gospel right. We found out with our kids as we were trying to explain it. We made mistakes. And so now that this is what we do and reach out to Muslims and Jews around the world and here, I, I mean, you wouldn't have believed it when we first started. In fact, our daughter Lindsay uh, was four years old. And it was Good Friday at our church in Texas. And uh, we're going to have a Good Friday service. And it ended up that what happened is while we were gone, the whole Doyle family, all six kids, our dog Coco got out from under our fence, went over to a neighbor's house that had a swimming pool, got under the gate, fell in the pool, and he drowned. I know, it was sad. It was so sad. So we come back from Good Friday service. We're talking about Jesus dying on the cross, talking about Coco drowning in the swimming pool with our kids and it was terrible they were throwing themselves on the front lawn you know Coco died it was terrible and felt awful and through it we get into this conversation with Lindsay our four-year-old about Jesus what happens after we die and it ends up that as God just works in her heart she's ready to pray to receive Jesus I mean only Jesus could do something out of this misery you know it was a tough day so Lindsay prays we're so excited. We think she has it straight. Saturday's a good day. Sunday we go to church. I'm walking in. It is Resurrection Sunday. I'm preaching. I mean, it's a great Sunday. Unless you're Pastor Rob and you have to go in for surgery on Easter, you know, like he had to. And uh, so it's just this great day. And I walk in and I said, hey, Lindsay. Now remember, it's the day Coco died. Jesus died on the cross. I said to this uh, elder in the church, hey, Lindsay. Tell Bob what happened to you this weekend. She goes, yes, I asked Coco to be my savior. <laughs> and I went, Lindsay, what? And she goes, yes, Coco died on the cross for my sins. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Lindsay, no, 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 Coco the dog died on the same day. It was Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And she goes, you know, I always get those two mixed up. So... <laughs> Not a great start in our missionary career. Messing it up even in the house, right? You know, but uh, God is faithful and he called us to go. And so what do we do in our race? Look at the second 
uh, part of verse 1, throw off everything, let us, it's a command, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. You know what sin I see that is universal around the body of Christ, no matter if it's here or around the world, it's this. It's not greed, it's not lust, it's not covetousness, it is fear. People living in fear. We see it all over the place. My friend Doug lived in Afghanistan. He works with us. He's a missionary. And one day he was sitting at a table in a restaurant and a man that was with Taliban, uh, he had the clothes on, was staring at him, just looking at him. And, and it was kind of scaring Doug, you know. He's just staring at him and he'd look away and look and this man is just staring at him. It was creeping him out and finally this man came up to him and said, excuse me, I want you to come to my house. Please come with me to my house. Okay, now he's majorly creeped out. Uh, no, I don't think I'm going to go to your house. Whew, it's getting late. I think I need to go. And um, the man said, no, no, please. Uh, you might be fearful of me, but I need to talk with you and my wife needs to talk to you and my children. Would you please come with me? I, I promise I mean you no harm. He felt a green light from the Holy Spirit, gets in a cab, goes to this man's house, and over a cup of tea, the man looks at him, points a finger and says, what are you doing in my country? Well, as a missionary, we kind of try to maneuver around those questions, you know? We don't try to just spill the whole beans right there. And so he said, well, uh, I love Afghanistan, and I, I love the people, and I'm, I'm learning Urdu, and uh, the food is great here. And he goes, no, 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 no. Why are you in my country? Couldn't think of anything to say. So we just looked at him and said, well, why does it matter so much to you? And he said, because I had another Jesus dream last night. And at the end of it, I said, Jesus, how do I know more about you? What do I do? And he said, you'll meet my friend tomorrow. And there you were. You were in my Jesus dream. And Jesus said to me, he has a special message for you from me. So what is that special message, Mr. Doug? <laughs> wow. I mean, this guy is a missionary. It doesn't get any easier than that, right, folks? I mean, if he blows that question, fired on the spot, you know? Get him, he should sell shoes or so, I don't know, something. And he shares the gospel over a few hours, opens the scriptures, he prays to receive the Lord part of an underground church movement in Afghanistan, which, by the way, is the second fastest growing church per capita in the world. Isn't that amazing? Afghanistan. You know what's number one? Iran. Iran is the fastest growing church per capita in the world right now. So you can see how Satan is baiting Israel into this and Iran, fastest growing church, chosen people. Let's get them in a war together. That's, that's a double win for the enemy. And, and so um, it's difficult in Iran, dif difficult in Afghanistan. In fact, some of our friends that we work with in Afghanistan say it got so hot with the Taliban recently, they escaped from Afghanistan into Iran to get away from the persecution. So, I mean, I think, wow, if that's your getaway place, that's re it's really bad, you know, escaping into Iran. Persecution, it's difficult. Jamal, who came and visited the church from Jordan, was going to the la one of the last villages 
to share Christ in. He'd taken the Jesus DVD, Bibles, everywhere he went, every village, every city, and he was so excited to go into one of these last cities that he said to Sahir, his buddy, the first person I see in this village, I'm going to share Jesus with them. And so they drive in, and as soon as they do, a door opens from a building, and out comes the Muslim imam. Uh-oh. And Sahir looks at him and says, Hey, you promised, remember? Oh yeah, I did. So he gets out of the car, has a Bible. They're standing next to the mosque and he says to the imam, have you ever read a Bible? Because Muhammad said that it's one of the five holy books. Have you ever read it? And he goes, no, I've always, I've always wanted to. And he says, I have one for you. And he's talking and very friendly and very nice. And all of a sudden he realizes it's noon and it's Friday and it's the day of prayer and all the Muslims are going to be coming into the mosque and he's standing there witnessing to the Muslim imam of the mosque. And he started to get scared. And the sweat started to trickle down his neck into his back. And he thought... Lord Jesus, please help me. And people are coming in, flooding into the mosque. It's their day of worship and prayer. And this one man walks up to Jamal and looks at him and says, Did you give him that book? Uh, yes, I did. He said, That makes me mad. In fact, that makes me really mad. And he said, Okay, why is that? And he said, Because... If you gave him that book and you don't have the decency to give us one of those books, how could you do that? Whatever the imam is reading, we want to read. So do you have any more of those books? As a matter of fact, <laughs> I do. And he brings out the boxes of books and they're handing out New Testaments, the Injil in Arabic, to the Muslims as they're going in to the mosque. And, and Jamal said, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, here is Friday at the mosque, the imam's up there, and the entire crowd is reading the Gospel of John. I've never seen that in my life. Only the Lord could do that. Well, this is the time of the harvest as Muslims are open to the Gospel. Sheikh uh, al Qatari out of Saudi Arabia recently said on Al Jazeera TV that 16,000 Muslims are leaving Islam and converting to Christianity every day. Now, I don't know where he gets his numbers, but we're seeing some pretty amazing things out there ourselves. Some are calling it the fifth great awakening as Muslims are open to the gospel like never before. But we have a problem. Here's the problem, church. 86% of all Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus, and that would be roughly about half the size of the globe, 86% of all Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus don't know one Christian at all. You say, well, what does that have to do with me, Tom? I'm never going to the Middle East. Well, we moved from Colorado to Dallas, Texas this last year. Dallas is the second fastest growing Muslim city in the country right now. Do you know what's number one? Right here, Chicago is the fastest growing Muslim city in the country. And they're open. And people are being bombarded with Jesus dreams. Take a look at this video, if you would. It's very bad for my government. I haven't food, I haven't anything. Me and my children, I will die today.
Islam is the final frontier for the church. 1.5 billion Muslims desperately need to hear about saving faith in Jesus. There's a revival happening. There's a great harvest among Muslims as they're beginning to be open to Jesus through dreams and visions about a man in a white robe. They've seen a man in a white robe, his face is glowing, it's uh, like there's gold coming out from him or you know, like gold shining coming around him. A lot of times they don't see or they don't say we've seen a face but we saw a figure and uh, he came to us and he, for example, one woman would say uh, he, he told me that he loves me and he cares for me. I saw a dream and I saw in my dream, I saw Jesus was a bridge, I decided come to him. In the church, if you ask how many people, how people came to Christ, 80% will say they saw him in a dream. Most Muslims believe that we worship three gods as Christians and the Bible is corrupted. But when they have a powerful dream about Jesus, all those preconceived notions go away and they're on a search to find the Savior. All the women were sitting there just praying and crying out with tears in their eyes to Allah, asking, praying for God to forgive them, Allah to forgive them, Allah to have mercy over their family loved ones that have died and praying that Allah will grant them life with Him that they have no hope without Jesus. More Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 10 years than in the last 14 centuries of Islam. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my manservants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray as believers in the West for Muslims around the world to have powerful encounters with Jesus as Savior, dreams, visions, that a Bible would get to them, that a missionary would get to them. They're open. The time is now in the midst of this revolution in the Arab world. They're open. They're ready. The harvest has begun. Pray for Muslims to come to faith in Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you are doing miracles and healings in the Muslim world right now. You are yourself revealing your... So another shock that God did in my life, as we got into ministry in the Middle East, I wasn't particularly drawn to Muslims. I honestly say I didn't really like them. And then the whole phenomenon, we're hearing now about one-third of them that have come to Christ say it all started with a dream of vision or a vision, I didn't even believe that happened anymore. So, uh, you know, I didn't like Muslims, didn't believe people had dreams. Other than that, I was a good candidate to write that book, I guess. And it's 25 real stories of two people that actually, if you go to Israel, you'll get to meet a couple of them that had um, dreams about Jesus. And it didn't, they didn't go to bed a Muslim and whew, wake up a Christian, but it just started to knock some of the false beliefs out of the way, and soon they came and fell at the face, feet of the Savior. Wow, it's happening all over. There was an 85-year-old woman in Tehran, and she was having Jesus dreams. And she was crying out to Jesus, Who are you? What does this mean? I've been Muslim my whole life. What does this mean? And so um, she had a television set in her room. She was a widow. And in Iran, it's state-controlled TV. I mean, it's really pretty bad. It's the Ayatollah, all 
uh, old Ahmadinejad speeches, you know, death to America, annihilate Israel. They said that last Tuesday, you know, but they're saying it over and over. It's just all state controlled, bad. That, so, so internet, cable TV is forbidden in Iran, which is why everybody wants it. Because the state doesn't like it, so they want it. And so people will, will get a dish on top of an apartment building, hide it behind bushes, and then everybody pirates in and puts little lines in so they can connect with the outside world and watch American movies and all that stuff. And so the only problem is the guy that has the dish has the control. So what he's watching, you're watching. You know, so like if the guy's going for the soccer goal to win the game, and he turns, well, nothing you can do. So she sits down one day in her chair. Jesus, who are you? Turns on the television. The Jesus uh, movie, the Jesus video comes on in Farsi. And she starts to watch it. And praise God, the, the Jesus she saw in the video is the same Jesus she saw in her dreams. She's watching the whole video at the end. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and has me in, I will come and dine with him. It's a fellowship term. Now, this is an 85-year-old Muslim woman that would have no idea what a biblical metaphor is. She wouldn't understand, but she's been having Jesus dreams. She sees this movie and said, Jesus is at my door. Jesus is at my door. That's what he said. So she gets her cane and she walks all the way over to the door and opens the door in faith that Jesus is going to be there. Now, how do you think our Savior is going to respond to that? He loved that kind of childlike faith. She opens the door. There's this burst of light. She hears the Lord. She hears the voice saying to her, Shireen, I love you. I died for you. I am here for you. I want to be in your life. And she's hearing this. Is this happening? It is happening. I can't believe this. And finally the light subsides. There's no more sound. She shuts the door, walks all the way back to her chair and sits down. The credits are still rolling. Have questions? Call 1-800-NEED-JESUS. She dials up the phone. And it doesn't, you can't man that phone call bank in Iran. It goes to like Canada, South America, then Los Angeles. And someone answers in Farsi and she said, I just saw Jesus. I, I just saw him. And they said, yes, it's a wonderful movie, isn't it? And she said, well, yeah, the movie's great, but I, I just saw Jesus. He came and he, and he talked to me and they went through the gospel. They opened the scriptures. 95% who have dreams about Jesus are led to faith in Christ by someone using the scriptures. And she was led to faith in Christ over the phone from Los Angeles till to Tehran. Is God concerned about an 85-year-old woman in Tehran? Absolutely, He is. He is. So, He's moving today, but it's dangerous. Our leaders in Syria have bought a graveyard. We have 20 of them, that former Muslims, former Alawites, that are leading people to faith in Christ discipling them, planting churches, but they bought a graveyard because they know the logical end of their work is going to be that they'll be killed. And so they bought this plot of land promising to bury each other 
Because it probably will come to that in the midst of this revolution with over 100,000 people dead. So we get these messages from Syria on Facebook and from different places we weren't expecting. And they'll say, things are great here. We have many new friends. We have been having many parties. That means they're celebrating, having a worship service. And they always end with this, God is good and the graveyard's still empty. It's empty. He's protecting us. Don't worry. Keep praying, but don't worry. That's why we've got to pray. So set your watch at 8.38 p.m., whether it's your iPhone or your watch. And when it goes off at night, you remember to pray for those that are persecuted, those that are in prison, those that are in danger, because our brothers and sisters are being really hit hard around the world, and they covet your prayers. It's dangerous for them. Well, what's it going to take for us to reach people? What's it going to take to reach out to Muslims. First of all, we can't be afraid of them. God doesn't want that. And we can't have unresolved anger and think all of them are terrorists and maybe even as Christians hate them. Well, that's unbiblical too. We have to reach out and love them. They said, Jesus said, they will know us by your what? Love. In Syria, they're calling the only people you can trust there the Bible people. Because they don't want anything from anyone. They're not trying to hurt anybody or kill anyone. So what's it going to take to reach him? Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We've got to stick to it with immediate, radical, costly obedience. Immediate, radical, costly obedience. We must be willing to engage people that need Jesus. Every time we hold back from sharing the gospel with someone that doesn't know Christ, it's a victory for Satan. He's laughing. He knows that we have the truth and he's doing anything he can to prevent us from meeting with people that are open to the gospel. And if you live in the Middle East, it's no cakewalk, let me tell you, because it, uh, you may be persecuted. You may have to die for your faith. And as Muslims are coming out of Islam, embracing Jesus as Savior, those are the last two questions they're asked. Are you willing to be persecuted for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? It could happen. It could happen. How many of you are football fans? Are you football fans? Okay, at the end of the game, it always seems like there's a critical play and the referee isn't sure what happened, where his feet inbounds or not. Did he score the touchdown or not? And so they go up to the booth and it seems like 10 years and then finally they come back and what does he say? Upon further review, it's kind of like the three magic words and the play is either overturned or kept as it is. And you know what? Jesus is not sitting up in a review booth. He's not. He's sitting on the throne of God. We thank God for that. And I think he's saying to the church today, upon further review, Islam will not take over the world. Upon further review, Islam will not slaughter the church. Upon further review, we are going to love them into the kingdom of God. And he's waiting for you to reach out and take the message to them. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. So what do we do with this church? Well, I would say this, since you're in the fastest growing area for Muslims in the country, every time you go by a mosque, pray for them. 
Pray for Muslims. Pray that they get a Bible or someone shares with them or maybe God gets you equipped to share with them or they have a dream and they're interested in Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for Muslims when you see them. Two, get behind the persecuted church. You can join them. You can go to our Facebook, 838, and set your watch and look at uh, stories every couple of days from the underground that you're never going to get on the news as believers are crying out from Syria, China, Nigeria, Egypt, asking for your prayers. And number three, if a Muslim family moves in next door, don't call the police on them, please. You know, don't call 911. There's been a disturbance. They wear different clothes. No, reach out to them with the love of Jesus. They're waiting. They don't have a lot of friends. We probably, we have some friends in Dallas that invited a family in for dinner, and uh, they're from Kuwait. And they said at dinner to them, and they found out they're actually part of the royal family of Kuwait. Not real dangerous, you know. And this family invited them in for dinner, and they said, this is so exciting, they brought all the kids. We've lived here eight years, and we've never been invited into an American home. Ooh, that just hits me in the heart. That's not the Great Commission, folks. That's kind of like run and hide. I don't feel comfortable. Reach out to them. Jesus will give you the words. So we moved from Colorado to Dallas, Texas, and it's really hot in the summer. I mean, unbearably hot. Last summer I was in Egypt in July, and I was checking the temperatures, and Dallas was hotter. I mean, that's really bad. It's just awful in the summer. Humid. It's had a long day, and it's the end of the day, and I've been late all day, and finally I get in the car, and I've got to run and pick up my wife for dinner and come back, and I have this long drive and traffic. That wasn't well thought out. And I was like, Lord, everything's going wrong. And I look at the, the register on the car, and it says six miles till empty. Oh, man, are you kidding? So I get off the freeway. There's three gas stations. Pull in, there's one. Go to the FINA gas station, stick in the card, and it says, must-see cashier. So I was not in the spirit that day, guys. I said, come on, Lord, can I get a break, please? So I walk in with the card, hand it to the lady, and she takes my card and starts to talk. And I said, you're from the Middle East, aren't you? And she said, yeah. I said, I go there all the time, and you're Muslim and I'm Christian. We love Muslims. And wow, this is so cool. Where are you from? And she said, well, hey, if you go to the Middle East all the time, you have to guess. I said, okay, um, Egypt. She goes, nope, Saudi Arabia. So I get in this conversation with her, and she's so pleasant and so nice. And as I'm leaving, I said, you know, could I give you something? Um, I'm a writer, and I wrote this book about how God is honoring the Muslim people. She said, really? How's he honoring them? I said, Jesus is coming to them. And it's a book called Dreams and Visions. Jesus is coming to Muslims in dreams. And she looked at me and said, I've been having dreams about Jesus. I said, excuse me a minute. Forgive me, God, for that crack about my schedule and being too busy. And I gave her a book, and two days later, I come back. i got to get gas again. You drive all over in Dallas, traffic, traffic, hot, 190, you know, in July. And I stuck my card in again, worked perfectly. See, I don't think that was a card malfunction. I think that was an order from God. It didn't say, please see cashier. It said, must see cashier. So I got back in. Rawia is halfway through the book. She goes, Tom, exactly what you're saying in here has been happening to me for 40 years. I said, 40 years? Rawia, 40 years of Jesus' dream? She said, yeah. The first one was in 1969. 
I said, didn't you ever talk to anyone? Didn't you ever talk to a Christian? And she said, plenty of them. I went to some churches and asked them what they thought about this. And I think they were nervous maybe because I was a Muslim and they didn't know what to say. And I asked Christians and I didn't know what to do. But one thing I knew, in these dreams, Jesus loved me so much. I could feel his love, his arms around me. And I knew this, that if he loved me so much, one of these days he was coming for me. And that afternoon, Rowia prayed to receive Jesus, her Savior, who'd been pursuing her for four decades in the FINA gas station on George Bush and Coit, and she's a Jesus follower now, fellowshipping with other believers, and she wants you to know how much she loves Jesus, and she says there's plenty of us. Take the message to them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for moving in our lifetime. I think this is like the second greatest generation to be alive in. The first generation, that first century, was amazing with Jesus and the apostles here. But today, you're moving in power. You're opening hearts. You're doing spectacular things. People are having dreams. And you want us to join you. You said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Lord, use us to join you in this great endeavor. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. We stand with them. We pray that this prayer meeting would be packed tonight of people that are passionate to pray for the family of God that's being beaten up and persecuted around the world. And use us, Lord, in this place, in Chicago, in Dallas, around the world, to reach out with the love of Christ to Muslims who are looking for Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for letting me be with you this morning.